In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, snowy Cleveland. I'm here with Ian, right, right, right. Ian, you're winning the snow battle. You've got how much snow? Uh, I think we're up to about four to five inches here in Chicago, and we're at a blazing eight degrees this morning. So it's definitely record-setting lows here in Chicago, and the Arctic blast is on its way through. I'm sitting here outside the... Cavs Stadium with a dusting of snow at the moment. So nothing setting. It's uh, quite nice. I'm about to go out for a run to Edgewater. But anyway, Ian, we're not a weather podcast. We're a Browns podcast. Tell us the good, the ugly, the bad. What was, what was your highlights from the game? You know, I thought it was one of those games that just kind of gave me, gave me heartache for about the entire second half. I was sitting here watching the game. And, you know, my fiance was nice enough to kind of leave me alone for the second half. She stayed upstairs. And it was just, it was a typical Browns game. You know, the roller coaster of emotions. We're up, we're down, we're up. You know, when we get the ball back, we're driving. And then we have that fluke thing where initially it's rule the fumble and then it's overturned. And it's just like, I don't know if a Browns fan could go through a more whirlwind set of emotions in the course of a 60-minute football game than what the Browns went through. So, you know, there was some good, some bad, some ugly. You know, the goal line, the red zone, definitely the ugly. You know, the good, we had just – I don't think you could say enough good things about the player, the man, the leader that Jarvis Landry is. So he definitely is in the good category. You know, the, the, the bad – we call it the bad luck. I mean, the Browns force a fumble inside the 10. The ball squirts through two defenders' arms, gets recovered at the one-yard line for a first down. These are the things I know you haven't been a fan as long as, you know, myself and all that, you know, you're obviously more invested, but when we see these breaks in a game go, it always seems to be against the Browns. You know, there's always some fluky thing that happens and well, just add that to the another list that almost cost us the game. But at the end of the day, we got the W and step one of my master plan of Browns revival season is complete. But we did get that luck with the, uh, where Baker popped the ball up and Hunt didn't catch it. The interception got called back. That was a bit of anti-Brownsy luck. Well, the, the way that the teams have been doing that now, and you know, I know a lot of your listeners listen to or watch a lot of football. Like, you know, so out here in Chicago, the Bears run that play often because Trubisky can't complete a forward pass. So what they do is they have them do these little shovel passes. The entire point of that is it's a forward pass. So if it is not caught in the case of, you know, Kareem Hunt running past the ball, and the reason was the snap was a little high and it threw off the timing. Um, so when Baker, when he went to toss it, it was pretty much behind Hunt. The benefit to that is it is an incomplete pass. That's why teams run those crazy shovel passes. We ran one at the, uh, the goal line. I think it was third down the second time in where we ran that inside shovel to, uh, to Nick Chubb, and it was incomplete. So it's a, it's a very similar thing that a lot of teams are doing. 
but it does not have the high risk uh, aspect to it because if it is not caught, it is not a fumble. It is an incomplete pass. So that's more of the rule being interpreted correctly. And I'm not sure why it was even ruled a touchdown on the field. It was very clearly what he did. So at first I was utterly confused and I'm sending text messages to my buddies. Like that's an incomplete pass. I don't, and then, you know, ultimately it was. So, you know, yeah, it, in the it, stadium. knowing our luck, it would have been ruled the opposite, but yeah, it ended up going in our favor, which was good. They ruled it correctly. And the Browns were able to drive down. In the stadium, we just saw people, city of people just leaving. Browns, Buffalo fans just going down, leaving. I was like, don't leave yet. There's more in this game yet. Wow, come on, Browns fans. Now, to give you an idea, I do not leave games early. There's, that is a number one rule of mine until there is zero. At Ohio State, I stay through Carmen, Ohio. And at the Browns game, I stay till zero, zero, zero because you never know what you could miss. So hopefully all the fans didn't rush out of there too quickly and got back to their seats. Just a real quick one. What's your view on Baker, his wife's views on uh, uh, the calling out Browns fans? You know, I actually give my a little hat tip to Emily because she said something and, you know, this is somebody that's only been with the team now for two years. And she said something I think a lot of Browns fans, real Browns fans actually agree with. And the one thing about the Browns is they do give you a lot of pain, suffering and heartache. There's no doubt about it. So what happens is, is in seasons where the hype is high, there's a ton of Browns fans. Then all of a sudden the team doesn't do so good and everybody jumps off the bandwagon and becomes the more comfortable aspect of bashing the Browns, fire the coach, everybody, you know, the sky is falling. So you have, you know, true fans that stick with the team that go to the games when it's, you know, 10 degrees outside or the team is one in 14. I mean, it, it takes a lot of madness to do that, but it also takes true passionate, you know, love of your team. And there are a lot of fans out there that are very, fair, you know, fair weather that are up and down, that want to do nothing but bash the team because it makes them feel good. And to be honest with you, real fans don't like them either. So, you know, hat tip to you, Emily Mayfield. You said what every other Browns fan is thinking. And um, it's funny, I, I didn't get the same uh, vitriol uh, distaste for um, Lauren Woods' uh, comments when, uh, about Odell. She said the same thing. She said, you're not on the field, so, you know, you're paid to have a ticket in the stands, which is true. Boo, cheer, do what you want. But at the end of the day, you know, if you want to be a fair weather fan, that's on you. That's not on the rest of the fans. I mean, that, that stadium was full. At the end of the stadium when the Browns won, that place was going crazy. Yeah, and uh, that's uh, Odell Beckham's girlfriend, right? Yeah, yeah. They, uh, if I'm not mistaken, TMZ broke the news that they went Instagram official. So whatever the Ooh. hell that is. Yeah. And she's got some London connections, I believe, as well. Yeah, I don't know the, the full story on her, but I do believe that she was part of the military, and I think she may have some background in the UK. So maybe you'll have to link up and you know, find out her story. Yeah, some other good things I liked about the game was the lack of turnovers and the lack of penalties. Yeah, so um, there was a stat that came out yesterday that given the Browns' focus on penalties and turnovers, they, uh, they are no longer leading the league in penalties. So we have moved off of the top spot there. And, yeah, absolutely, two clean games from Baker. Um, I think we said it a couple podcasts ago that I'd be really shocked if Nick Chubb fumbled the rest of the season, and he is holding true to that, knock on wood. So, yeah, two clean games. A um, couple penalties that, you know, were, were tough. I mean, that pass interference by Denzel Ward, I watched that play a few times. 
I guess it could go either way. There was a little bit of contact, but I mean, I've seen a lot less not called. So it is what it is. That was about a 32 yard penalty. And then the one on uh, Sheldon Richardson, I believe, when, or was it Ogan Joby? I think when he came through the line, didn't tackle Allen, but their face masks touched. I'm still a little old school on that. I get it. He made contact with the head of the quarterback. He didn't tackle him. I don't know. I don't see how that's a penalty, but by definition of the rules, that is, in fact, what it was. But Four penalties for 70 yards, and, you know, 46 of those yards came on two of them. So not overly upset with that. Um, and if you remember right, right after the, the roughing the passer, they went the, uh, four and out. So we got the ball back and it didn't. Yeah, and it's very difficult for me to see in the stadium, but how do you feel the O-line did? You know, it was, it was kind of a tale of two cities with the O-line. In between the 10-yard line of the Bills and the 10-yard lines of the Browns, I thought the Browns did a great job creating run lanes for Nick Chubb. I thought Kareem Hunt did a fantastic job of being a lead blocker. I mean, I know people have come up with these, you know, chicken bone and wishbone and pony formations and naming the, you know, the two-back set, uh, all these different things. But all of those things quickly came to a halt at the one-yard line. And it became a matter of who wants it more. You know, I know that the Browns have struggled as a run-blocking team overall. And, you know, I was tweeting with uh, Rodney Bailey about it, and he said one of the issues they have is that the goal line, you're not doing all the crazy stuff where you're pulling stuff here and there a lot of times. It's hat-to-hat and let's move forward. And, you know, he had pointed out that 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 exploits some weaknesses when it's just mano-v-mano in the run game, and it really showed. But, you know, what was really ironic is, if you remember right, Chubb had that amazing run through the left side. He got tackled at the one-yard line. You know, the stadium is going crazy. The momentum's going crazy. Freddie calls the perfect play call. Baker hits the Bills with the play action. They all bite. But, um, the Buffalo defender, I believe it was Jordan Poyer that was on Odell Beckham. Uh, he looked like he was on skates. I mean, Odell was dancing in the back. He hits that cut to the outside, would have been wide open. Baker completes the pass and it's a touchdown. And nobody says anything about the red zone. But smartly enough, he tackles Odell, which was one of the most blatant penalties you'll ever see prevents the touchdown, and then the Browns go on to struggle. So if you think about what would have happened if Odell breaks free of that, catches the touchdown, you know, we don't have any of the bad taste in our mouth from being stuffed at the uh, one-yard line six more times. Can the NFL do anything about that? Because it looks quite obvious. Just keep fouling, and then you're going to stop the touchdown. Well, in the case of a pass play, a lot of times that does happen. The problem is, is that half the distance thing, Obviously, the ball was sitting at the one-yard line. You'd think with Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, you'd think with one of those guys or even a QB sneak, the teams are going to get that 99 out of 100 times. The issue is the Browns were the one out of 100. Times eight. Yeah, exactly. So most of the time that doesn't play to your benefit um, if you you can't stop a a six-inch or a two-foot run. But in the case of the Browns, I think Freddie was doing what the Browns fans wanted and, you know, just handing the ball off. But, you know, I I don't know. I think they're going to really have to look at the formation. I think they're going to have to design some stuff up where they can figure out maybe some quick hitters, um, maybe line up Kareem Hunt as a fullback and do, you know, a quick hitter that way. I'm sure that we'll see some different types of execution in the red zone next game. I watched some uh, blocking of Hunt and he did a really good job, didn't he? Wow. I mean, to be honest with you, I, one of my biggest fears with bringing Hunt in that formation, because uh, I think Burns and a few other guys pointed out what the Packers are doing with those two back sets with Jones and Williams. 
And we were, and then he pointed out a couple things that the Eagles were doing with Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders. So that 20 personnel or 21 personnel was going to be a pretty common uh, formation for us. And I'm like, you know, Hunt hasn't played the year. How strong is he at the point of the attack? He had to hurt. Like I had a lot of doubts. And I think on one of the, one of the Nick Chubb runs in the first quarter, he laid out an edge defender. And I was like, holy shit, like this guy came to play. And you could tell he was not coming down with one arm either. There was nobody arm tackling him, and it was taking more than one guy. They hit him on that bubble screen, and he was plowing for four or five yards. Chubb was plowing for seven, eight yards. I mean, you have a tandem now in that backfield that is top, one of the top in the NFL. I cannot think of a tandem right now that has more talent than those two guys. So Chubb came out, ran the ball hard, and man, did Hunt really lead the way. So Tony Grossi's old theory of the fullback being the most important player on the team is, uh, is holding true. I went to the Hall of Fame yesterday and learned about a player called Ginny, Gene Hickerson, who played with Jim Brown. Yeah, me and Gene Hickerson, yep. He was a mauling offensive guard for the... It was the same, you know, Hunt and Chubb working as a team, Jim Brown and Hickerson working as a team. Well, yeah, well, Hickerson was an offensive lineman, but yeah, <laughs> you'd have to go back, maybe find some of the old Leroy Kelly, Marion Motley, Jim Brown days. But yeah, oh, Hickerson was an animal. That was he was, he was blocking everyone, right? For, so not even blocking, just throwing people, you know, throwing people. It was like Orlando Pace in college in the 90s. So, What didn't you like about the Browns? You know, I thought that they had a few things. Obviously, the red zone is kind of the easy target on there. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we've pointed out in the past is I thought that the defense was not making the stops. And that luckily went away this week. You know, I think that the defense kind of stepped up. I thought Schobert, you know, one of the things we talked about is they don't make a lot of impact plays. I thought Mac Wilson played pretty good. I thought Schobert played pretty good. But the one thing that I'm not getting from the defense, and all of the people out there that watched the Monday night game last night saw, and I know San Francisco ended up losing, but you saw the impact the San Francisco D-line can have. And I know that we don't have Olivier Vernon. I know that Chad Thomas got a sack. And I know that Miles Garrett gets held on every single play. I need more from the defensive line. I need more of an impact. I need more gap penetration. I need more push up front. I just, I'm, you know, I had kind of complained that the linebackers were good, not great. And I know Miles Garrett's great, but I also saw two guys blocking him almost every time. I need more from the other three guys. You know, we should be able to get pressure with four. And right now I think Wilkes is having to scheme up some, some pressure packages to get them unsettled. But you can almost tell that they just didn't want to fully all-out blitz Allen because they didn't want to get beat with the quarterback draw. So a lot of times guys were rushing, but they weren't going 100%. They kind of knew. So I don't know if maybe that was part of it, but I just I would have liked to see more pressure. I need, I need more from that D-line. I want to see them make an impact like the 49ers do, where it's third and five, and they just blow the shit out of that O-line and have a meeting at the quarterback. I need more of that. Yeah, it's something that we maybe miss when we haven't got Greg Williams. In the stadium, it felt very similar that the defence was doing a good, consistent job. But when we really needed them, like in pre-season, they were making high impact. And yeah, I agree, we didn't see it. It seemed like it was so... It was very often that we saw first down builds, first down builds, momentum, where you, you needed defence to step up and just stop it. Yeah, and, and I think one of the other things to point out is the Bills left a lot of plays on the field. There was a couple plays where their receivers were behind our DBs and Josh Allen just missed them. Or it's fourth down going across the middle 
and Josh Allen missed them. Or John Brown on a slant, and he threw it behind him. So I know that Josh Allen's accuracy is one of his struggles, but a good quarterback, I think, would have had a little bit more success with the Browns' defense. I think we caught more of the breaks of having a bad offense than we did really kind of imposing our will on them. Like, we held on. We only held them – you know, they only scored 16 points. I get it. But there was a lot of points that were left out on the field. So, I think if you're doing, uh, you know, Buffalo Bills talk radio, you're probably pointing out all of the missed opportunities the Bills had because the Browns' defense gave them several. Let's talk Higgins for one second. What's going on there? Because he came on – I didn't see – I only think I saw him get one reception in the game. He had the, the most important one. He had the touchdown. Now, he was out there for, I think I saw, 32 of the 70 snaps, so just under 50% of the snaps he was out there. And on the – I believe it was one of the cream hunt receptions, he w- had a phenomenal block downfield. So he was out there. He was doing things. Um, I think Baker figured out pretty quickly that Jarvis Landry was the hot guy for the day. And I think he was really focusing his attentions that way. I mean, I think Landry was our highest graded player on offense. And, um, you know, I think he had one of his better games as a Brown. He had 10 targets, uh, nine catches, 97 yards. But I think they made a conscious effort to try to get Beckham in the game. I think he had 12 targets. Now only five, five of them were caught. But I foresee these final stretch, the targets for Beckham coming down a few and maybe a little bit more going Higgins. Because, I mean, normally Baker's pretty good about spreading the ball around. I think he only completed a pass to six different receivers, and two of them were running backs. So it's one of those ones where we may see a little bit more of a diversification on offense, um, and Higgins could be the benefactor of that. Because, you know, Callaway had his little slip up, and it really gave Higgins a chance to get out there for a good number of snaps. And hopefully he, you know, proved his worth. Because you know the guy has talent. You know, I know that there was all those stories. Jason Lloyd had a great article in The Athletic about the Seattle game and him possibly not wanting to go in if he wasn't 100%. You know, it's a contract year. I think you and I talked about this offline. Is If Higgins isn't feeling 100%, he may have the Joey and Nick Bosa theory of, I'm not putting 80% snaps on tape because you're going to hold it against me in the contract year. So if he's 100% now, he can go full, full boat. Let's see it because, you know, we're really going to need him these final, uh, final half of the season. What's your view on Callaway then? So, um, suspended for the game. Freddie Kitchen doesn't want to talk about it. We now hear that he was late. I actually, you know, I feel bad for Antonio Callaway. I know he makes a lot of, you know, he's made a lot of mistakes in the past regarding, you know, marijuana and such. And you can tell the Browns have a tough love policy with him. Most guys, if they show up late, now I don't know how late he was. And I'm actually not even sure how you're late on game day. That is not... I mean, sometimes there's traffic and stuff like that. I get it. But without knowing the full details, which obviously the Browns do, I have no problem with them suspending him for a game. It's one of those things where, hey, you know your leash is a little shorter. You know we've given you opportunities. You know, you show up late one time, that's a game. I mean, some teams maybe would only suspend him for a quarter or a half. I think it really sends the message. And I'm a, I'm a strong believer in that the culture and the environment that you provide for people is really their only gateway and path to kind of overcoming some demons. And we know that Antonio has one, you know, I'm sure that, you know, he's got some things in his background that, you know, we would all feel sorry for him for. So I have no problem with them suspending him. 
I hope it does not become an issue. You know, if this is something where it happens again, you know, I, I don't know if I would have the same forgiving nature, but you know, this is his first indication of a run-in with time issue. Um, from all indications, he's a good guy in the locker room. A lot of the teammates like him. So as long as he's not being a cancer in the locker room and this is a one-off thing, I have no problem with a one-game suspension and then get your ass back out there and uh, improve your worth. You move to the bottom of the depth chart, so the only way you're going to get up from there is to work harder. So hopefully he takes that to heart and you know, puts the time and the effort in and gets back in the good graces of the coaches. Moving on to the Steelers, how are you feeling for the game on Thursday? Well, truth be told is, you know, many people that know me know my fiance is a Steelers fan, so we couldn't be in the same house for this week. So I had yeah, She's not in the room at the moment, is she? No, actually, okay. I, I made her leave the state. I Thank said, you. you have to go. It's, it's bleep Steelers week. I said, get your ass on a plane. I need you to fly to Washington, D.C. I need you gone. I can't, I can't have it, Paul. She can't be in the house. It's bleep Steelers week. We're not friends. The dog sleeps between us in the bed. No, we might as well just be better enemies this week. I've made sure that she was not allowed to take any Steelers gear with her on her, on her Bon Voyage. All the Steelers gear in the house is being put in, in the doghouse. So it is, it is definitely Brown's week for that. So. You can always pull it in the bin, mate. Don't, don't feel like you have to hold back. Yeah, that may be a good idea. I'm going to run that one by. Yeah, I think <laughs> you're going to have to do that. And when's she back? Uh, she gets back the weekend after the game, after the important time. So – but, you know, one of the things that I had talked about even before the game was the Browns really have a pathway to changing the season around and doing it quickly. You know, from last Sunday to next Sunday, we're going to play three games in 14 days, two in five games. And you could tell that the city of Cleveland was really kind of taking it on the teeth um, in terms of they were really down on the team. You know, the spirits were a little broken. You could tell that the players did their best on Sunday to kind of rejuvenate that. You know, Landry's out there getting fired up, which I'm not exactly sure how that was a taunting penalty, but whatever. Um, but you could tell that the energy was definitely there. So if the Browns can go out on Thursday night and beat the Steelers, and the Steelers are a good team. I mean, Mason Rudolph sucks. There's no doubt about it. But that defense is legit. So if they can go out and win this game at home on a Thursday night, have two victory celebrations in one week. So you're talking about a win on Sunday. Unfortunately, no victory Monday. So Freddie's going to be able to hold it over their heads and say, hey, guys, listen, we got one, but let's get this other one. And if they win on Thursday, they're probably going to have a victory weekend. So if you're really trying to inspire the guys, two wins in five days would be fantastic. You have a little bit of a momentum streak going into Miami the following week, three straight home games. Win all three, then go into that Steelers away game with some momentum. You quickly go from two and six to five and six, and you're right back in it. So it's definitely, you know, something that needs to happen. Step one, beat the Bills. Step two, beat the Steelers. Mate, beating the Steelers will be absolutely amazing. And uh, it will be the highlight of my season if we win. I mean, it's going to be a tough game. And I think that the fact that the last two games we've played relatively clean from a penalty standpoint and relatively clean from a turnover – well, not relatively. We haven't turned the ball over once. The Steelers thrive on turnovers. Anybody who watched the Chargers-Steelers game knows they score off of turnovers with Duck Hodges. In the game against Indianapolis, turnovers. Brian Hoyer throws a 96-yard pick six to Minka Fitzpatrick. You know, in this last game, the Steelers, defensive touchdown. You cannot give them points. They are going to just play it. On offense, they are just brutal to watch. I don't even know who these running backs are. Benny Snell's hurt. James Conner's hurt, even though he may come back. They got guys you've never heard of trying to run the ball. 
So as long as we don't turn the ball over and give the game away, like Titans-esque type of performance, I think the Browns stand a really good shot. Because if the Browns defense simply plays the way they did against Buffalo and the Browns offense, you're going to see another low-scoring game that the Browns should be able to win. I mean, I don't see the Steelers team organically putting up over 21 points. So you could go out there and win a nice, ugly 21-13 game or something along that lines, but you're at home, feed off the energy of the crowd. Browns fans, do not sell your, your tickets to the Steelers fans. Pack the stadium, and let's go out and get the second win of the week because I think that would be monumental in terms of we're 2-0 in the division. You know, we're, we're, we're on a two-game winning streak. You know, that's what we need to do. Yeah, mate. It's going to be a great day. Late kickoff. So I'll be tailgating very early. The top secret. We'll be doing something Fox TV. So watch, uh, watch the space. Around 8 o'clock Cleveland time, I could be on TV. Oh, that's awesome. I will say, you, uh, you've been quite the popular. I saw you on Barstool Sports. Uh, I've seen <laughs> you in a lot of the videos of mates jumping through, t- through tables. You've been to Mabel's. You've been everywhere. Well, you know, how's your week in Cleveland going? You got in, what, Saturday? And, you know, here we are Tuesday. Yeah, I'm a little bit disappointed in myself. I haven't really done a lot of Cleveland food that I wanted to do. But, yeah, uh, Saturday was obviously uh, straight drinking, being bashed up by the Buff- uh, Buffalo fans, I'm afraid to say. Uh, Sunday, obviously, tailgating, Muni lot. I was thinking about doing the table jump, but then there was no cushions underneath. And uh, I can't even dive into a swimming pool, let alone onto a Browns fan. So, uh, yeah, I gave that a miss. But, yeah, you see my shorts uh, in the Barstool video, and that's about it, to be honest. Uh, give Donnie all the credit. He did the uh, huge dive off the bus. It's got, like, 1.5 million views, that video has. Oh, I'd say it's even probably more than that because it was shared across multiple different platforms. So depending on which camera angle you got – you know, one of my buddies sent me the video and he's like, Browns fans are crazy. And I was like, you know, the co-host of my podcast is that guy right there in the Union Jack shorts. And he just sent me about 100 characters in a row of laughing out loud. And I was like, yep, that's Paul. Yeah, so then um, obviously after the game, I'm afraid to say I got really wasted. Spent some time with Eric Metcalf. That was quite cool. And then um, yesterday we went down to the uh, Hall of Fame. I had a horrible hangover. And uh, that was really good, you know, um, I've heard like Bo Bishop talking about it and other people in Cleveland of how much of a nice day out it is. And I'm not a museum guy, but I learned a lot and really enjoyed the experience. And I highly recommend it to anyone who's like myself, who doesn't know a lot about the NFL and, or anyone that knows loads and loads like yourself, you just go there for a recap and I'm guaranteed you'll learn something there. Oh, absolutely. I haven't been there. Um, my senior in high school, the, uh, the Lorraine Admiral King Admirals went down to Fawcett Stadium, which is the stadium right there. We played Canton Timken. And I remember we walked out on the field and it was like, you're kind of looking around like, holy crap, like you're at the Pro Football Hall of Fame Stadium. And in the locker rooms and stuff, they have like, you know, these kind of cool things. Like there's one area where um, a, a, like a chalkboard was broken by Ditka and they have a lot of cool things. But I remember the opening kickoff, you know, I come down to make a tackle and none of us had on the brush burn things. So I make a tackle on this artificial turf and my entire leg was just absolutely carpet burned, you know, up the entire side. And I was like, this is the most brutal experience of my life. You know, they got to spray all that new skin stuff on there. So, 
you know, my, uh, my one time at the Pro Football Hall of Fame left a memorable experience, but not in a good way. Yeah, I, I played a bit of football. I played a bit of football on the field, so uh, you have to wait till the video to laugh at that. That's quite embarrassing. And then, Did somebody challenge you to a 40-yard dash contest? I lost. Um, and then uh, we went to Mabel's last night, and, uh, yeah, I've overeaten. So uh, I'm now about to go for a nice little jog and uh, try and burn off some of this uh, weight I've put on. Yeah, you're going to become a vegetarian in the next couple of days you're there. you got a case of the meat sweats. I saw that pork belly. Good Lord. Yeah. So, but, yeah, so you're going to the game Thursday, though, right? Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to be tailgating all day till, till the end. And, uh, yeah, and then I fly out Friday. So I'll pack up everything Thursday morning, ready to get home in a bad state Thursday night, and then go to the airport. But Ian, I've met quite a few people in uh, Cleveland that really like you on the podcast. So some really nice feedback there. Well, I appreciate that, everyone. And like I said, if you know, there's anything you guys want us to talk about, let us know. But I am curious, and you'll have to find out on Thursday. You'll have to come back and give us a report on this. There's been a lot of things going around uh, social media about the Browns fans in the stadium on Sunday. And you had mentioned that there was a lot of Bills fans that were in the hotels on Saturday. Well, that kind of makes sense to me because Browns fans, obviously, a lot of them live in Cleveland, so they're not going to stay in the hotel. What did you think the stadium was like? How, what was kind of the split Browns fans, the Bills fans, and, you know, what, did, what kind of vibe did you get? Because it seemed wild for the Browns fans, yet everyone said it was 50-50. No, <clears throat> what I did was I took pictures of stands and then tried to be analytical and work out what the actual split of blue and orange was. And I think it's 30% Buffalo fans and 70% Browns fans. Now, you could have been looking at a different part of the stadium. You could have been in a Browns-heavy area. You could have been in the dog pound. But I've even got photos of the dog pound seeing blue in the dog pound, you know. So, um, yeah, maybe 2080, 3070. I posted a video because it was annoying, you know. Like, I go to Denver and there's, you know, a lot of Browns fans travelled. but it felt like there was more Buffalo fans than Browns fans in Denver. Of course, everyone said it's a two-hour drive. What do you expect? I get that. But, yeah, I, I hear what Baker's saying, Emily's saying, and, yeah, I want the best for the Browns. And if we can get an extra 10% more Browns fans in the stadium making more noise. And I've got to say, in, like, the last two, three minutes of the, of the game – the stadium was louder than it was in Denver. But the difference with Denver, it was consistently loud. And with, with the Browns, it was loud when we needed to be to get the victory, which was great. But it could have been louder throughout the whole game. Well, I, I'll be curious because obviously you're going to be in the stadium for both the Bills game and then you're going to be in the stadium for the Steelers game. I'm curious to see how the stadium is for that Steelers game because I think a lot of people were off the bandwagon a little bit, you know, and they're like, oh, the Bills, boring. But the Steelers tickets, if you're a Brown season ticket holder and you're not going to that game because you just don't want to and you don't have some sort of a conflict, that, that's questionable right there. That's a mark on your fanhood card because, I mean, I, that's going to be a great game. You know, it's Thursday night football, so Joe Thomas and Steve Smith and all them will be in the house. Um, so I'm hoping the Browns fans show up and show out for that because I think that's going to be a, a great game. And I – I better not hear reports that there's more than 10% Steelers fans in that stadium. My view is 
Browns fan, watch it on TV, in a bar, in the stadium, whatever. All I ask is just don't sell your tickets to Steelers fans. Yeah, I mean, I've been to I've been to Brown Steelers games where it was over fifty percent Steelers fans. There would be times where it's the fourth quarter, the Browns are getting beat forty-one to nine or something. This was you know a couple of years ago, and I look around the entire lower bowl of Steelers fans, and I'm one of the few Browns fans left in a stadium in Cleveland, and I I mean there was five percent Browns fans. It was one of the most insane, ridiculous things I'd ever seen. So let's hope that as we start becoming a good team and beating them, that we can repay that favor a little bit. But you also have a, you have a pretty big event tomorrow night, right? Yeah, Tomahawk Show. Got loads of big guests turning up. So, yeah, I'm super excited about that. Oh, that's going to be awesome. So the, uh, I, I wish I could get into the town. One of the disadvantages of living in Chicago is I'm not able to bop in and make things like that. But I do believe I'm going to go to the Bengals game, so that'll be a good one as well. You do believe, or are we going? I'm, no, I'm, I'm actually going to the Bengals game in Cleveland. Ah. And then you and I are going to go to the Bengals. Newsflash for all the Paul Brown fans, uh, we will be making a joint visit to Cincinnati on the 29th of December uh, for the uh, Browns-Bengals game. So we're going to end the season in style. All right, well, look, let's go Browns. Let's get super excited for the Steelers. Let's enjoy the snow and go Browns. Absolutely. Have a good jog and uh, enjoy the rest of the couple of days in Cleveland. We'll catch up towards maybe after the game on Thursday and we'll recap your entire visit in the two games. On the radar today is Greenhouse Wings. Oh, and Greenhouse yep. That's it. And maybe I'm going to try and get all the pizzas in Cleveland that everyone thinks is number one together and then actually blind test which one's the best. I mean, that's not a tough day. So that, that's definitely – Greenhouse is pretty good. Um, I know one of my buddies goes there quite often. So he is a big fan of that place. And last thing, Ian, where can people find your details? Ian19 on Twitter. Um, you know, I try to engage as much as I can. So you can bring your Baker Mayfield, Emily Mayfield hatred my way. I don't mind. Come on, the Browns. Let's beat the fucking Steelers. Let's do this. Absolutely. What's your prediction? <laughs> Oh, I went quite high. I went 35, 34, I think. Oh, you're going high. I'm going Browns win 23, 13.